You're listening to the Fat Dude Digs Flicks Movie Podcast Network. What is up, everybody? This is Andy, the resident fat dude of Fat Dude Digs Flicks, coming to you recorded from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and it is time for an all-new episode of Let's Talk About. Uh, hey, how's it going? We've we've been away for a little while, so thanks for uh, for coming back. Uh, you know, every every once in a while, you just need a little break, right? You just need a little breather. You need to catch your breath. You need to you know take some take some me time. So so I decided that the month of August was gonna be me time. Uh, so uh, you know. Uh, that's, that's what you do But we'll be back now With uh, hopefully regular episodes So thank you for tuning into this one If this is your first time listening to Let's Talk About uh, Let's Talk About is an interview show Where I am joined by a guest To talk about their life Their loves And a movie that has had an impact on them uh, This week's episode I am joined by uh, a Stephen King fanatic, uh, Ken Creamer. Um, Ken is just this, like, awesome fount of Stephen King knowledge, uh, and just a big time fan. Like, just kind of getting to to watch his joy uh, of all things Stephen King and and see the things that he shares. Um, it's just a blast. So I was really glad that I got a chance to talk to, to Ken um, about his Stephen King love and about our featured movie of the week, which is The Mist. So go ahead and run to the kitchen, pop your popcorn, grab a soft drink, kick back, relax, and let's talk about The Mist. All right, everyone, I am super excited to introduce this week's guest. Uh, this week's guest is a local Stephen King fanatic, like uh, aficionado, uh, you know, whatever like superior fandom word you can come up with. Uh, this is your guy for Stephen King, Ken Creamer. Ken, how you doing? Oh, I can't complain. I can't complain. You know, uh, you, you said I'm a big fan. You know, I'd like to, I wouldn't say I'm his number one fan. I think we we, we all know who that is. So we'll leave it there. But I, I'd we like to think I'm maybe a good solid uh, right behind her there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Ken, I'm I'm really excited to have you on the show. We have, so we have like crossed paths once and it was kind of in like a, uh, <laughs> like a conflicting setting because we were up against each other for uh backlot 605's marvel countdown but i've known you like known of you before that because i know john uh your husband john and i'm just i'm really excited to to get to chat with you and finally kind of pick your brain on uh your love for stephen king so thank you so much for for being on the show well, thank you so much for having me. It's it's a pleasure. I, I look forward to it. This is a, you know, if it's talking about King, I'm I'm always a fan of doing that. 
yeah, it's this is this is going to be super exciting. I'm I'm really excited to kind of find out your your story with that. So let's let's kind of kick things off the way that we always do on this show. And that question for you, Ken, is: Who are you? Where did you come from? What is your origin story? <laughs> so that's interesting. So I guess let's start all the way back at the beginning. My dad yep. is a uh, his name is also Ken. He's a Midwestern boy from Nebraska, born and raised. He joined the Navy and happened to fall in love with a girl from Philadelphia. And that was my mom, Linda. Yeah. And so they, they got married and moved back to Nebraska. And I was born in Nebraska, raised in the Midwest, you know, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, South Dakota, my entire life, but born in, in Nebraska. And so that's kind of where we start there. But to tie that into my love of Stephen King, it goes to my mother. Her family was huge fans of horror and kind of the sci-fi movies in general. And a big tradition in their household was on Saturdays is they'd kind of camp out in the living room and watch a horror movie late at night. And that was kind of something we would do periodically in our household as well. And so that kind of instilled in me early on a love of horror. And even as a young child watching, you know, American Werewolf in London. That's what I remember. And I was young when that one came out. And my mom was like, are you sure you can handle this? Are you sure you're not going to be scared? <laughs> and I remember laughing at her because I was like, come on, this isn't reality. This isn't scary. You know, even at that age, I knew this wasn't real. Right. But at the same time, if you put me in front of a movie where it was, you know, like a serial killer, I could differentiate the difference. And that kind of scared me more because that could be real. That could yeah. suck something that could actually happen. So as a kid, you know, I even had a preference for more of the, the fantastical and the horror genre. It was just always driven by my mother's love for it as well. And so that was something we always had in common. And, you know, we could always relate to, you know, watching a horror movie and then critiquing it afterwards or making fun of it during, depending on how it was going. And I just kind of went over into my literature when I started reading too. Of course, I started with like, you know, Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein, and that just sure. automatically advanced. Yeah. What did, did she have like certain horror movies that she kind of felt like introducing you to right away? Or was it just kind of, you know, whatever, like whatever you saw that you both were like, oh, we should, we should try this one. Or did she have like a, you know, I, a lot of parents have that lineup of movies that, you know, once their kid is into a certain kind of movies, they want to show them. Um, Actually, a lot of it was just, you know, it was back in the eighties. So a lot of times it'd be like those uh, uh, where they used to have like uh, every week, it was a different movie on the channel. So, you know, it was just kind of be whatever was playing that week. And, you know, yeah. one, one time they did like Friday the 13th, it was like the first, you know, Four, four of them or whatever it was out at that point in time and so so yeah we got into some of the mainstream ones and then we also saw some of the weird you know classic vincent price ones and hammer horrors and you know uh, uh blackula some of the black exploitation ones from the 70s you know so we had a wide range of what was ever just kind of on the tv at the time but yeah, yeah uh, she didn't have necessarily a favorite although uh she the love uh, I don't remember the name of it, if it was for the love of Audrey Rose or just Audrey Rose, but yeah. it's based off of a book about a little girl who's reincarnated. That was one that she uh, enjoyed a lot, as well as uh, the original Poltergeist movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, those are, those are kind of a uh, uh, poltergeist, especially is like that, that core horror movie for eighties uh, uh, era kids, because it's like, you know, it was such a, 
such an exciting horror movie that kind of crossed into mainstream. So it was like a big, big budget blockbuster, but also like uh, had the right ghost stories so that horror aficionados were, were really into. Um, what were what were some of the horror movies that you really like that you gravitated to right away? Were there some that you really championed when you were growing up or ones that, you know, you you really still to this day kind of find just like these are the the tip top classic horror movies that you love? Well, and here's the thing about my taste in horror movies. I'm a big fan of cheese. Like I have seen some really, really bad, bad horror movies. And (laughs) some of those are are really fun. But so I don't know if any of the ones that I would like would necessarily be like considered mainstream. But, you know, there's there's some classic ones out there like um, uh, Cellar Dwellers, what I remember watching late at night on like uh, uh, Cinemax or HBO uh, in the 80s. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. No. It's, and it's kind of cool because it's about this uh, comic book artist guy who who is moves into like an apartment, not apartment. It's, well, it's like a house with rooms for rent. And he's a comic book artist and he starts drawing these comic books about this kind of demonish monster with like a pentagram in his chest. And it turns out that it's actually real and it's actually in it's a cellar dweller and, he, and his drawings are coming to life and it's actually attacking people. And it was just kind of, you know, the monster was this big bulky kind of demon guy in a costume but I mean it, it had it had its moments and it was actually a pretty pretty cool movie and I just remember being a kid just watching that like multiple times uh that and Warlock with uh Julian Sands sure and, yeah and part of that was you know he was probably uh, my first little crush uh, when I was yeah when I was because you know in that movie very very uh, attractive man in that movie but very right. cool concept too you know he's this the son of the trying to become the son of the devil or the antichrist and he's trying to find this book that you know is scattered and you know as a kid i just love the concept of that yeah i uh as you were talking about cellar dweller i have now added it to my letterboxd watch list so i am on the hunt to find this movie uh uh jeffrey combs is in it from uh reanimator and uh yes. uh yvonne de carlo from the Munsters as well so i am uh really? i will i will definitely track that one down and see if i can find it because it sounds uh sounds terrible and wonderful all at the same time well and and just I, like anything i love that from the 80s with Jeffrey Combs in it, you know, Reanimator, yeah. From Beyond. Uh, that was another great one. I loved it. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Yeah, yeah. I yep. I have never seen it, but I know uh, it's, uh, the, I think it's from that uh, Stuart Gordon as well, the uh, same creator of Reanimator. Yep, yep. And, so. it, and it kind of ties into the mist too as well. Nice. Yeah. I, I will be really excited to talk about this movie because uh, you, it's something that's been on my list for a long time. And I just never got around to it. And getting you on the show was kind of that that push to finally get me to watch The Mist. So we'll chat about that here in a little bit. What, what kind of kicked open your your Stephen King fascination? Was it did you did you go to the books first, or was there a movie that you watched first that really kind of like piqued your interest, and then you know you you kind of went from there? What what drove your love for Stephen King? Actually, uh, it was the books first. I'm definitely a big fan of the books. And there were three main influences in my life on that. My mom, of course, you know, big horror fan. She also did read a bit. So she had, and I actually have one of her books. It's uh, the original Firestarter paperback with the white cover and just the flames on it. Yeah. And that was one she had in her personal library. And that was actually the very first Stephen King book I ever read that it copied um, way back 
when in mid 80s. Yeah. And then my sister also was a big reader at the time, but she read a lot of VC Andrews and then she got into some Stephen King stuff. And then she would recommend a book to me like It or um, Dreamcatcher, any of those uh, from a Buick 8 she recommended. Yeah. So uh, she was a big influence as well. And then my friend Jerry <clears throat> in high school, uh, we would do this thing where we would each read a, the Stephen King book at the same time, but we'd agree like each night we'd only read from like this chapter to this chapter, and then the next morning we'd get together and discuss it. And uh, there's actually a story I like to kind of tell from when we were reading The Stand where we almost got into a fist fight one day because our stories weren't lining up. I'm like, well, this happened. He's like, no, this happened. I'm like, no, that didn't happen. What are you talking about? And we were getting really heated about it until we actually figured out there's two versions, the original and then the mm. unedited version that was released a little later. And we one was reading one and the other one was reading the other. And that's why it started not matching up. So once we figured out what was going on there, we got that figured out. But yeah, that was kind of a fun story from high school on that one. <laughs> I... I think for for me, I I had known about Stephen King early on. Like I, I had known about like Cujo and Carrie and Christine. You know, I'd known about those early on, but I don't think I really like got into Stephen King uh, until it like the the TV miniseries came out, mm -hmm. um, and that was just like that was an obsession. Like I think I watched the first part just kind of by chance. I didn't know what was coming on. I I just you know uh, uh, happened to be like by the TV when it came on, and I was just drawn to it like just loved it and then knew that the second part was coming and i was like okay i have to make sure that i watch the second part i have to watch the second part and we missed like the first half hour of the second part and then was able to watch the rest of it and then right after that went out and got the book and this was like for me this was fourth grade um so i'm wow. carrying around this thousand page book and you know for that whole fourth grade year people were like have you finished it yet have you finished it yet and i go this book's a thousand pages and i'm a i'm a fourth grade reader like give me give me a little bit of grace as i kind of work my way through this um but yeah, you know, eventually finished it, really loved it, uh, you know, read The Stand, read Misery, like there are just a, 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 a ton of Stephen King books that I just kind of have thrown myself into. There are more probably that I haven't read, uh, of course, than I have, um, but he's one of those authors where it's just like, when I think about, you know, wanting to pick up a book and, you know, try and read something that I've never read before, my mind instantly goes to him like, okay, well, what, what have I not read of his yet? What, what should I have read? Like, I've never read the novel of Carrie. I've never read Cujo, Christine, you know, any of those books, I've, I've never read them. And I think, you know, every so often when I'm like, I should probably read something like that's where my brain goes first. Are there, are there Stephen King books that you would I guess, recommend higher than others for people who are, you know, it's tough because where I, I almost feel that the majority of the population these days don't read as much as they once did. Um, and they're missing a whole world out there by just kind of passing over these books. Are, are there Stephen King books that you would recommend to people who want to kind of work their way back into reading on a regular basis? 
Actually, there are. There's a couple of them that I would recommend off the bat. <clears throat> and specifically for people who maybe don't like to read a lot or aren't able to read a lot. That's kind of something that's happened to me as I've gotten older. I used to be able to sit down with a thousand page book and crank that out in a weekend. Now I get 20, 30 pages in and I'm ready to fall asleep. So yeah. I totally yeah. understand <laughs> not being able to get through a book very quickly. So the two books that I, well, I have a couple of books, but the two novels I would recommend would be Carrie and Firestarter. Both of those awesome. are quick, easy reads. They're not very long. They're not super bulky. They're plain, simple, you know, there's some of his earlier works, so it's not maybe as convoluted, you know, some of his later books, you know, he likes to weave things together and then make a reference to something that you may not pick up on. Carrie and uh, a Firestarter, not going to happen so much, you know, it's pretty easy to understand. Yeah. The other two books, in quotes, that I would recommend would be Skeleton Crew, uh, which I believe that is actually the one that the mists comes from, is Skeleton Crew. Sure. And I would also recommend uh, Four Past Midnight, which is a lot of people, it's got four stories in there. And a lot of people don't even realize that one of the stories is called The Body, but it's the, what the movie Stand By Me yeah. uh, is based off of. And a lot of people don't even realize that's a Stephen King story. And it's like, a, and it's because a lot of people think Stephen King and they automatically think horror. And there's a lot of stuff he does that isn't horror. He does fantasy, horror, nonfiction. You know, he does books about baseball. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, he's, he's all over the board. So there's a little something for everyone out there that King can uh, relate to. Have you picked up his, cause we're, we're recording this. I want to say a couple of days after his most recent novel has been released uh, fairy tale. Have you had a chance to crack that open at all yet? I haven't read any of that. I do actually have a copy of it. It's in my to be read pile. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, I don't read as much as I used to. So a sure. lot of the times I'll get it on audio and uh, I haven't got that one on audio yet. But it gotcha. looks really nice. And there were some issues with that. I'm, I was on a Stephen King uh, forum and apparently the U.S. publisher, some of them were made in the USA and then some were outsourced and made in Italy. And apparently the oh. Italy ones aren't really the high quality. So if you're out buying a book looking for a copy of Fairy Tale, you might want to get the ones made in the U.S. It's got a better binding. Apparently it's not just glued on. It's actually stitched. So oh. just an FYI. <laughs> yeah. What what books are you know? I know that you mentioned uh, that Carrie and Firestarter, and then the the Skeleton Crew and Four Past Midnight are you know ones that you'd recommend to others. But what are the ones that you really love? Like what are what Stephen King stories do you just like? You know, to an extent, like I feel like almost it and the stand kind of defined. Uh, a sense of my taste like do you have Stephen King books like that that really kind of I don't know you kind of consider them a part of you well it's kind of funny you actually mentioned those two because it in the stand if somebody asked me what my favorite book is it's going to be one of those two depending on the day because it's always one of those two um, so it's, those, those are definitely ones that I've read multiple times. Uh, I've read the unedited stand. I've read the edited stand. I've read um, it multiple times. Uh, I've seen the movies multiple times. So big fan of those two. And I definitely think I relate to those a lot. Those were a big part of my uh, high school growing up in the nineties. You know, like I said, my friend Jerry watching them, reading books with him and my sister. So I have those connections. So yeah, those two are definitely a big part of it. Also, I would say, the Dark Tower series, I kind of consider that all one story since it all kind of goes together and sure. it ties in with so many of his other books. So that one's another one that is a big part. You know, I really enjoyed it. 
Um, there were parts I loved, parts I hated. There were parts that I went, what the hell is this? Or heck is this? <laughs> I'm not sure what we're allowed to say. Oh, um, you can yeah. say whatever you want, Ken. You okay. you can cuss up a storm. <laughs> yeah, he did some really weird shit uh, in, in some yeah. of the Dark Tower stuff. So um, he gets a little meta. I don't know if, are you familiar with, have you read any of the Dark Tower? I've read The Gunslinger. Uh, my My younger brother is actually a huge fan of the Dark Tower series, so. So and he'll probably he has said the same thing that you have. <laughs> he, he might agree with me on this one. If you've read the Gunslinger, that one is a little bit harder because there again he was younger, his younger work. But once you yeah. get into the second book and the third book, those they, they just go down so smoothly. They're excellent reads. Yeah. Uh, then it gets a little weirder later on, and it's not King's fault. He got hit by a a, a van in the uh, late '90s, I believe it was, or early 2000s, yeah. and had a bit of a hard road to recovery at that point in time. And he recovered, but some of his writing just, it just wasn't quite the same after that. You know, you can tell that some, something had changed in his life. And that's where some of the other books came out after that. And that's kind of where it gets meta. He, he does this weird thing where he actually wrote himself into his books. So it gets kind of, you know, fourth Wally there, but it's, sure. just, it's a different idea. I mean, when I first read it, I absolutely hated it, but as I've gotten older and gone back and reread it, you know, I'm like, no, I actually get where he's coming from now as an older eye seeing it. So I don't don't dislike those parts as much as I used to dislike those parts, but there are still yeah. parts where I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, I, I wonder are are there books from the I guess the post accident era that kind of stand out as ones that are because I I'm I'm trying to figure out the timeline in my head because some of the ones that I really love I love I, I think Rose Matter came before the accident and yep. that's one that people don't really like talk about a whole lot it seems like and i i love that one i would love uh, a, a big screen adaptation of that movie because i just think it's like there's a lot that you could do with that one uh but then i also love the girl who loved tom gordon and i can't remember if that was before the accident or after the accident um, i believe that one was right before, right before or right after it might have okay. been like already written at that point in time but it was i believe right around that time late yeah. 90s early 2000s Sure. Are are there ones that you can think of post-accident that really kind of stand out? Because I know that you said that some of his writing changed a little bit uh, because, you know, it, a little, little more introspective, someone that's kind of been through uh, near a near-death experience and they've kind of changed their, uh, I guess, their focus. But are there any books from that era that you really, that still stand out as something special? Oh, oh yeah i mean he definitely the writing was still good it just you could just kind of see just some of the tone tone has changed yeah but yeah, i mean it was it wasn't like it had gotten uh, like bad writing it just it was sure. different yeah uh, but yeah no i mean you can kind of tell it in um i'm trying to think specifically i'm looking at my collection like what's jumping out at me and of course nothing is at the moment yeah. um i think under the dome was post-accident as, and I'm not sure. I think Dreamcatcher might have been as well. Okay. Um, not 100% sure on that one, but I believe yeah. so. But yeah. Um, yeah, and then just, you know, just some, some of the tones were just a little bit different. You know, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to say maybe a little less hopeful. I mean, sure. um, I think Revival might be one of those. I don't know if you're familiar with Revival, but no. That one I might, I believe he actually, that one is a weird one because he started, I believe, writing that like way early in the 80s and then it didn't get published and it was put away and then it was in a drawer and then finally he wound up like revising it and re-releasing or 
finally getting it released and I think that might have been after it and that one kind of has a dark ending to it that was just kind of not not normal his normal type of ending so yeah it was just kind of like some of those examples yeah well what are I, I you know I I, I want to kind of talk I don't want to spend the whole time talking about Stephen King even though you know that's our, our really focus <laughs> our featured movie too but um one other thing I do want to uh, uh, talk about is you have this like pretty impressive Stephen King collection um what are you know what does your collection kind of consist of and what are kind of uh what are some of your crown jewels in this collection of yours oh fun I always love talking about my collection um <laughs> yep yeah, so I've got uh, at least one copy of almost every Stephen King book but I've got usually multiple ones and it's yeah. not like they're actually true duplicates what it is is I'll have like a hardcover I'll have a paperback. I'll have a different paperback with a different cover. I'll have a foreign edition. I've got French covers. I've got an Arabic one. I've got Chinese editions. I've got Japanese ones. So I'm just a, you know, a collector in a totalist. If, if I don't have it in my collection, I want it. Yeah. I also have some other kind of weird things that people don't necessarily you know, attribute to Stephen King. I've got about, he had a newsletter in the mid 80s, 85 to like 89 or so, about four or five years. Uh, it was called the Castle Rock Newsletter. Uh, there's about 55 issues of that. I have approximately, I believe, 37 or 38 of them. So I'm getting there to getting the rest of them. But I, I'm kind of excited about those. Those are kind of rare to come across. And usually if you find them on eBay, they're kind of expensive. So if you can get them fairly decently at a good price, they're kind of nice to have. And then I also have randomly a Stephen King, the dark half computer game by IBM. <laughs> Didn't even realize there was a computer game based off of the dark half, but apparently there <laughs> yeah. is. It's on floppy disk, so I can't do anything with it, but it exists right. in my collection. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I don't know what that game is. Like, I, I just, I've, I've never, I had no idea that there was a Dark Half game, a game adaptation. Are there any other Stephen King, like, game adaptations? There are Ooh. a few. There's actually a couple that, like, are specifically games. Like, there's one called, I believe, F13. I don't believe that's based off of any of his books, but he wrote, like, the concept for the game, I believe. Oh, wow. And then there's actually a Lawnmower Man game. Oh, yeah. It's based off of the movie, which yeah. wasn't really based off of his story, and he actually sued to get his name off of. So, yeah. you know, I want to get that in my collection eventually just for the connection there, but uh, I, I don't have that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wild just wild uh i think you're i i, I think the uh the, your collection is awesome like all of the stuff that you uh uh kind of post and share on social media like it's just so cool to see um but your 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 love for stephen king isn't really like all you know that's that's not the only thing you love and adore um oh, no. you are a comic book guy too and i'm i'm really curious ken what are some of the like you know there's always this war of like are you a dc guy are you a marvel guy i'll ask the question just because it's it's a good general question to ask but you know other kind of stepping beyond that like are you a DC guy? Are you a Marvel guy? And what what comics do you really like? Just find yourself completely invested in. Um. Well, if we're talking comics, 
I do actually prefer DC. I'm a big Superman sure. fan from way back in the day. Yeah. Um, Batman, you know, I think is awesome. I just think they have a really cool rogues gallery with all of the people in DC. Um, but if, it, if we're talking uh, other media, I'm a Marvel guy when it comes to yeah. like the movies and the TV show, totally Marvel. But when it comes to the comics, I'd probably definitely lean DC. Yeah. Who, uh, who are like for, for Marvel, who are your, uh, um, I guess the, the primary characters that you really enjoy? Um, oh gosh. I like, I enjoy Blade. Um, I got a couple of trade uh, paperbacks of Blade that I, I've read through that I really enjoy. And I'm looking forward to the new movie coming out for that. Yeah. Um, John's really getting into the uh, Werewolf by Night. So I might have to pick up a couple of those to read. Um, so, you know, the supernatural angle, scary angle there. Yeah. Um, surprisingly the one that actually is coming to mind and it's not even marvel or dc i don't believe but it's sure. what i used to read way back in the 90s vampirilla they're again tying oh. into the horror story yeah the vengeance of vampirilla comic line from the mid 90s uh i actually have the full run of that somewhere in my house uh but yeah i haven't read that one for a while but that was a really good uh storyline uh, kind of uh, uh, crossing over, I guess. I guess blending these two things together: your your love for Stephen King and your love for comic books. Um, are any of the Stephen King comics uh, any good? And then, question two: uh, Do you enjoy the work of Joe Hill at all? I do like Joe Hill. I've actually read some of Lock and Key uh, that yeah. I've got. Um, John has picked me up some of the Rain series, but I haven't actually had a chance to read any of that. Okay. Um, the, the Stephen King comics, I like the Stand and I like the Dark Tower series comics that Marvel put out. Sure. Um, he's got some other comics that I think were produced by other houses. American Vampire, I, I enjoyed as well. Okay. Um, he, he, he had a, something to do, he did part of the writing for the first five, I believe, of American Vampire. Sure. Um, but that, his part in that ended after the first five um and but yeah he's got like there's a talisman comic book which really is okay it's kind of hit or miss um, <laughs> yeah. sleeping beauties has a comic book that you know uh you know it was really pretty drawn very very pretty to look at but i just you know it just didn't didn't pull me in i just really wasn't captivated by it so i mean yeah. I never finished it you know and if you pick up a book and you get five pages in and you can put it down and forget about it. It probably yep. wasn't that great. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's kind of that point where it's like, I, I think I'm done with this. I've, I've tried, uh, but I'm not going any further. I can kind of tell. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I really like, uh, I read Lock and Key uh, several years ago. Like, uh, I think maybe one of the trade paperbacks for it. I'm not, I can't really remember now. Uh, but I really enjoyed it, and I know that they did a a Netflix adaptation of it, which I want to sit down and watch sometime, just because of how much I enjoyed the comic books. But I hear it is quite uh, quite different, um, and not really as graphic or or scary as the the comic series is. And I feel I feel like that's that's a missed opportunity. Um, yeah just because those those comics go to some pretty dark places um and it would be 
uh, it would be very scary to, <laughs> to see uh, those on any kind of a screen. So, um, yeah, I, I I really like Lock and Key. I'd like to read read more of it, kind of finish the story or or read you know whatever still exists of the story because that was a lot of fun for me. So, um, well, let's kind of let's kind of dive into our featured movie of the week, and we're gonna kind of twist this a little bit because as you put it uh our movie of the week is part of the holy trinity of yep. uh stephen king adaptations but our movie of the week is frank darabont's the mist whoa mom dad you gotta come see but us the best you just gotta come come on whoa Spoken, the doomsayer departs. <laughs> Why don't you get Billy dressed? I'll take him into town with him. Hit the store before it gets all bought out. How'd you folks hold up in the storm? Big insurance day. Sorry to hear that. So I, I, I want to start kind of for you with the very beginning. Actually, let's do this before we, we get into kind of our, our discussion of how the movie makes us feel and where you, you know, where you discovered it, how you love it. Let's talk about just brief synopsis. So if you were to describe this movie to someone, what would you say the mist is about? Religious zealotry is the core, <laughs> the core of it. But the backdrop is a government experiment screw up causes monsters to run amok and you're trapped in a grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. You, I, people who are the real monsters in the movie. Right. Uh, we'll, I'll put this warning out there for people right now. Uh, we will probably spoil the mist, uh, because there are things that I want to make sure we talk about. Uh, but I will say this, just, just kind of a general, uh, comment about this movie. Don't be like me. Don't wait too long to watch this movie. You should definitely watch the mist. It is man it is it is it is an experience uh that i would i would gosh it's tough to say i recommend it but i would say i recommend watching it just be prepared to feel a certain way uh that's it that's all i'm gonna say for now uh so i would stop this episode uh and come back after you've watched the mist but now ken let's get into it when did you first see the mist do you remember your your first experience with this movie I do actually. I remember my mom actually had the audio tape, uh, like the audio play where it was like a 3D play where they actually, you know, had bells and whistles and noises and, you know, people performed it almost like an old radio drama. She had wow. that tape and we would listen to it on road trips and I loved it. And so when I heard there was a missed movie being made, I was all about that. And I actually went and saw it in the theater opening weekend. I mean, I mean, I wasn't like it first in line or anything like that. I wasn't sure. that big of a fan, but I went and saw it in the theater and I thought I just love the concept, you know, <clears throat> 
parallel kind of dimensions, parallel worlds, creatures living beside us in another realm kind of thing. I love that concept. It's used in a bunch of different sci-fi um, from beyond does of something very similar, which is kind of how I said that was connected there. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it kind of ties in there. And I just love that concept that there's this world that, you know, is near us, but we're separate from until, you know, something weird like this happens and then we're exposed to it. What are we going to do? How do, how do we react as people? Yeah. And the mist kind of uh, pontificates that we will not react very well. No. <laughs> um, uh, when is, is the, is the book of this, like, I, I guess maybe how accurate is the adaptation? Are there a lot of uh, liberties taken with the movie compared to the, the, the short story or is it, uh, is it a pretty, um, pretty accurate adaptation? No, there's always little changes in it, but for the most yeah. part, it is pretty accurate, except, I don't know, I don't want to ruin anything, but, you know, the ending, the, you know, the big ending that, you know, we're all aware of, if you've seen the movie, yeah. that actually is not how the story ends. The story actually ends on a much more upbeat, positive note. Oh, my God. Really ended it. But Darabont came up with that idea, and King said he loved it. He, he wished he would have thought of that idea, because he thought it was such a great ending. And people give King a lot of crap for not having great endings. And to be honest, there are, you know, some of his things that don't necessarily end well, but up to that yeah. point, it's great. So, but that was like the perfect ending for this movie. And I love how, you know, even King liked it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we will, I, I, I will spoil it. So I'm gonna, I, I really, again, want to say uh, this is a good stopping point for people and then come back to it afterwards. Cause I have to talk about, I have to talk about this ending uh, because I had heard for years, I had heard for years about the ending of this movie, that this is a very, very bleak ending. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just watching the movie and I'm like, Oh, everybody's going to die. Like that's, that's going to be the ending. Everyone's going to die. And somehow uh, this, uh, the the mystery of the movie that i didn't know were that there were these creatures i didn't know that it was the, the, there were creatures in the mist i didn't know that it was like kind of these um you know for lack of a better word these kind of alien insects um that were the ones that were taking these people out i had no idea um and i was like oh well it just means that they're they're gonna take over and everybody's gonna get killed kind of uh until until two seconds later uh when they run out of bullets and uh there's one guy left uh and then you find out if he would have just waited a couple of minutes longer everything might have been okay oh man <sighs> i i mean this in the best possible way i wanted to throw up <laughs> It's a gut, gut punch, right? It just good boomed. lord. Um, yeah, like Jane did just on the ground, scream, you hear him do that scream, just you know, he sold it, you know, it's just so. And the really kind of, I watched the movie several times and I never even picked up on this until fairly recently on a re review. Is in the on the military vehicle that goes by right after, did yeah. you pick up who was in the vehicle? Yeah, uh, uh, Carol from, from right. The Walking Dead was in the vehicle. From the beginning, but she yeah, was from at the, the beginning, beginning of the, of the episode. Yeah. The one who was like, will anybody walk a woman home? And I'm like, I never picked up on that. And then it's like, oh my God, that just makes it even worse because, yep. you know, if you would have actually gone with her, you might have made it with your family. Mm -hmm. Oh man, just like what what a pummeling of an ending. Um, and I, I, I kind of, I respect that 
um, that flex because you don't really see movies that are just willing to kind of be like, you know, <laughs> this, this is what we're doing. Uh, we are committed to being a downer of a movie. Um, but no, it's, it, it, you know, it kind of, I don't know, it, it gives the movie something special that makes it kind of have a, a bit more of a legacy. Um, what is it about this movie, Ken, that you really, really enjoy? Like, why, why is this the, the kind of go-to movie for you? I just really do enjoy like the concept of it that, you know, being trapped in a location and, you know, zombies are overplayed. Everyone does zombies. So, sure. you know, this is kind of a similar situation. You know, you're trapped in a location. You can't go outside and the people you're with are even scarier than what's outside. But what can you do? And then I do like the body horror aspect of it because, you know, nowadays some of the cgi isn't that great but back then i mean that was pretty pretty cool cgi uh the scene yeah. in the pharmacy with those creatures and everything that happens there i mean i just love the body horror aspect of that you know it's almost like a cosmic horror and i that very h uh hp lovecraft kind of thing and you know the tentacles and you know i just love yeah. how all that. just yeah just a scary and then the kind of funny story is after i had actually watched the mist in the theater the next day driving to work guess what it was foggy out <laughs> oh, no nope. yeah i was like i don't want to go outside <laughs> nope i'm i'm staying home it's taking a sick day <laughs> oh man yeah, just the concept i just love it and you know it's just um like you said you know the ending just you know it's not it's not something that a lot of movies do to just end on such a you know a sad note uh and to just kind of be like a downer and that's why i said like you know the book is a much happier yeah uh, uh, upbeat they're actually i don't want to ruin the story for anyone who hasn't read it so i won't say sure. but sure, sure. <laughs> it's just happier let's just leave it at that yeah um but yeah i mean it's definitely of the holy trinity it's definitely the uh horror aspect of it and the and the uh the the anguish portion <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's just, this movie has so much going on and it all kind of works like it, it works together so well. It, it, it blends because you do, you have these creatures, um, you have the, the mysterious, you know, the, the, the mist of what's out there, what's in the mist, um, you know, the, 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 the people inside, um, you know, who are just kind of, you, you're watching this, community deteriorate um i was really struck watching it how it feels like this movie might now be even more timely uh than it was back then because like i i i put the pandemic into it and i was like well you know if there's a group that runs out where they're just like eh you know whatever we'll be fine there's nothing out there then i'm like well this is very <laughs> very relatable and sure enough <laughs> Uh, there's a group that just is like, eh, whatever, we're going to go out there. And uh, great actor Andre Brower is <laughs> weeded out of the movie very Joker. quickly because. <laughs> well, that's kind of uh, what I like about this movie is always a kind of us versus them. At first, it's, you know, yeah. us versus them. It's the locals versus the outsiders, which, yeah. you know, the out-of-towners, which, you know, that's who he was, you know, the legal troubles they had. Then it becomes an us versus them, you know, the people inside versus the creatures outside. Yeah. And then it becomes an us versus them, the people inside, the religious zealots who are following Miss Carmody and everybody else who still has brain cells left uh, <laughs> on the other side. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so intense, like watching 
people shift their, I guess, their allegiances, uh, shifting their their beliefs. Like it's just I'm I'm left wondering as the movie you know kind of wraps towards the end. Like, do the people in the in the grocery store like do they end up okay? Um, and I, I I mean I imagine that as long as they stayed in that building that they probably were going to be okay. Um, God, it's just and and it sucks because they have turned so far to this this uh uh cult like status that it's just it's difficult to to watch and cheer for them and yet you're also grateful that it's like oh well at least some people survived like what a what a wild movie like it really does like i said it does so many different things and balances it all so well to make it this just i don't know a a uh, social horror, a, a cultural horror movie, on top of being a you know monsters and mystery of of the unknown kind of horror movie. Um, let's kind of talk about this just a little bit more about how this is just one third of what is your holy trinity of uh, Stephen King adaptations. It's directed by Frank Darabont, uh, who also directed The Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile. Why is this uh, trilogy held in such, uh, you know, I guess I guess trilogy, but why why are these adaptations held in such higher esteem than, than many other Stephen King adaptations? It's just, I think, something about Frank Darabont and the way he writes and the way, you know, he gets the material and he can take the material, put King's vision into it, and then even improve on it in places like, for example, the ending of The Mist. Um, I also like the way he likes to reuse actors. Like you said, Carol from The Walking Dead, she -hmm. appears, um, you know, uh, the other guy from The Walking Dead, he appears in some of his other adaptations. He's a prison guard in one and I think a prisoner in the other. So, I mean, I just love how he does that. And he likes to use the same people and just put them in a different position. Um, just, I just think he gets really just gets King and gets his, uh, his, his writing style. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting how, how well he juggles what, you know, I would say Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile, pretty similar in theme and structure, like, because they're, they're prison movies you know, with a little bit of, well, Shawshank Redemption kind of lacks uh, the supernatural element, but Green Mile has a, a supernatural element to it. Um, you know, he handles those ones so well. And then there's this one, which is very, like, you know, uh, I feel like in a, in a way it's a throwback to, like, 50s monster movies, where, and they're, uh, they're also dealing with, you know, paranoia as well. And he just handles them so well. And it's like, you know, how does this guy, how, how does this guy juggle these different things so creatively well? And these are, they're, it's, it is, it's just an exceptional trilogy of movies. Which one of these did you end up experiencing first? Was it Shawshank Redemption because that was released first? Or did you see them kind of out of that, that release order? Um, it was actually Shawshank Redemption, but I didn't see it in the theater. I didn't even realize it was a Stephen King uh, story. Uh, because the actual story, it's in a four past midnight, I believe, called is Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. I just right. never put two and two together. Shawshank, what the hell is that? 
but a friend of mine, after it had been released on uh, VHS, I'm aging myself here, after it had been <laughs> released on VHS, uh, they had rented it. And so we went to their house to watch it. And I didn't realize how late it was, how long it was. And so I wound up being really late yeah. at night. But loved it we after we watched it we wound up talking about it we're like the ending was amazing didn't see that coming um you know there again another great ending but you know i think king actually gets credit for that one yeah yeah (laughs) um it was i think for a lot of people um the shawshank redemption was one of those movies where it's just we we didn't realize that something so great was out there until it hit home video because it was it was a bit of a flop like in the theaters and then critics recognized it and it, it ended up getting nominated for all kinds of awards and then it hit the VHS you know home video market and people ate it up and now it it's you know regarded as one of the greatest movies of all time like if you were to go on to imdb right now and click at their their you know top 250 movies of all time i'm pretty sure the shawshank redemption is not just not only in the top 10 but probably in the top five and for a movie that you know like i said kind of bombed in theaters and and uh you know lost i hate to say it lost best picture to you know forrest gump to have that kind of be held in that kind of esteem like that's a that's a pretty great thing and i think i think more people recognize shawshank redemption as uh an exceptional piece of cinema uh than people do who you know uh i would say forrest gump uh i love forrest gump but even I think yeah. even I would be quick to say, you know, maybe maybe Shawshank Redemption is a better, uh, more more significant movie. Twenty uh, something years later, thirty almost thirty years later. Good God, good God. I would <laughs> totally agree with that. But the other thing I love about the Shawshank Redemption is I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I almost am. I believe it starts the long held tradition of Morgan Freeman narrating things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think this is, this is the Morgan Freeman narrator uh, that really, really became a cultural touchstone. Like <laughs> when I hear things in movies and I need a movie to be narrated, like that's my guy. That's the person I want to hear discussing those movies. Penguins uh, walking down the f- beach. I want to hear <laughs> Morgan Freeman. Right? The Emperor Penguin. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, let's talk for a second about the Green Mile. Did you um was that probably the next one that you caught, or was that something you watched later? And how did how did that one sit for you? Because that's a that's a a, a lot of movie. Like Green Mile is a three-hour long, you know, prison drama with these uh supernatural elements that really, you know, still an exceptional movie, but I think I almost feel like that one gets the the short end of the stick sometimes that it doesn't get as much respect and i read the book first because it was released in the like uh as a serial it had yeah. the the one one book came out like one month and then the next month another book came out uh i think i waited until it all came out as one like box set but i read the book first and just loved it and then the movie came out what, what was your what was your kind of uh i guess your experience with the green mile 
So actually, when the movie had come out, I hadn't read The Green Mile yet. I had the book. I just hadn't gotten around to reading it. So I didn't actually wind up reading it until it was available on VHS. Or I mean, at sure. that point, oh, actually, I think, yeah, at that point, that was still VHS. It was the double double box one. You know, that's yep. how big it was. Uh, but yeah, so I actually read, caught up and read the book quickly and then rented the movie once it was out on VHS. And of course, Tom Hanks loved it. Frank Darabont loved it. Uh, Michael uh, Clark Duncan, taken from us too soon. Yes. Um, he was excellent in that. You know, I just love the uh, overtones of the whole movie. You know, you've got good versus evil, you know, uh, the prison guard Percy in that one, you know, never hated an actor more in my life in a role than that role. And, you know, I think a lot of people can agree with that. So, I mean, yeah. Just, it was just a great movie. I mean, he just, there again, he gets King. And I just love the fact that, you know, it's funny you were talking about how it's a serial. I mean, the books really aren't that thick when you look at them individually, uh, right. but they turned it into a three hour movie. It's like, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's, it's a really good adaptation. Like I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head and I'm sure there, there are things that were omitted and, and changed and all that, but I also feel like it's pretty faithful. Um, at least is my, as my old brain remembers. Uh, my recollection, and, yes. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, it was, it was a three hour long movie that flies by um, because it's just, it's very engaging. Um, you care about the characters you, you want to see, um, you know, you want to see the main characters succeed and it's, uh, it's a tragedy that they don't. Uh, and yeah, you hate, you hate Percy. You hate that guard with a fiery passion and you want terrible things to happen to him. And, uh, it's, it's, it's very rewarding <laughs> when, yes, yes when, when bad things happen to him. Um, and so then I guess that the mist was, um, you know, the, the you know, mist is the next one that was released. You saw that one in theaters, you read the book, where does that rank for you in this? I, it's tough to, to rank these three movies uh, with each other, but is there one that you kind of push up higher than the other ones that you have a, a maybe more affinity for? Um, Shawshank Redemption is always going to have a special place in my heart just because sure. of, you know, it was the first one that I saw. But yeah. to me, they're also different. Like The Mist to me is just, you know, it's it's definitely in the horror horror category. Shawshank Redemption is more real, reality-based, you know, it's more, you know, hopeful prison break movie. And The Green Mile is more of a fantasy to me. So it really just kind of depends on what mood I'm in at the particular yeah. time to put them in an order. But usually the Shawshank is probably going to be pretty much right on top there. Um, yeah. You know. And, and there again, uh, um, they did change some things, uh, like, uh, for example, Morgan Freeman's character in Shawshank Redemption in the book is actually Irish, and I just, yeah. how, well, they just threw that line in there in the movie <laughs> to explain why they call him Red, even though he's not Irish and doesn't have red hair. Yeah. Loved it. Um, so there again, that was funny, a funny change they did. So good. So, so good. <laughs> um let's kind of swing back to the mist here um so if you were to to recommend this movie to someone who has never had a chance to see it like what would be your what would be your sales pitch would it be a, a particular scene would it be a character would it be the themes like how would you pitch this movie to somebody to try and get them to watch this for the first time 
Uh, I would probably pitch it as, you know, as, you know, a survivor type uh, movie, you know, imagine being trapped in a place surrounded by monsters and you have to figure out how to survive with, with your fellow, you know, people that you're with and what hijinks will ensue. Um, you know, that's a kind of common, I don't want to say trope, but it, it kind of yeah. is, you know, that's kind of the basis for a lot of different movies. So, I mean, I think that's a good way to reference it. You know, it's a, these situations and how will they play out? And I think it's kind of, like you said, kind of psychological in a way too. It's, you know, how, how does uh, the pressure affect the people you're with? Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's a, that's a really good way to kind of sell it. Cause it's like, you know, you, it, I think when we think of survival horror, it's the really intense, like, you know, person stuck in a situation and there are constantly all these monsters and this, that, that, that happens here. Like there are people who are stuck in a situation. They're surrounded by monsters. They have to get out alive, but I feel like it moves at such a different pace that it, it kind of feels like it's, I, I can't think of the right way to describe it, but it just, it feels like they're wrestling with something more. And maybe it's because there are so many more characters and maybe because those characters kind of uh, uh, separate themselves so much and you get the, the group that kind of fract uh, uh, fractures off and becomes very religious uh, to uh, uh, where they, they even say in the movie that, you know, be careful, you don't want to drink the Kool-Aid uh, because it's like they are super cult-like. Um, but yeah, I think this is a, a great survival horror movie uh, that just hits you hard <laughs> at the, at the okay. ending. Gosh, man. Um, what is your, I guess your favorite, I don't know, favorite scene in this movie? Like, is there a sequence in this movie that you really uh, enjoy? Like when you, when you think about the mist outside of anything else that your brain always comes back to that you really, you really like? There are two scenes that really jump out at me. Uh, one is the spider type monster scene with the uh, pharmacy, that uh, whole body horror scene. That one jumps right out at me as one yeah. that, you know, that's what I could actually watch over and over and over again because it's just kind of like, ah. And then the other <laughs> one is the one where they're in the car at the end driving away and you see the, I believe they call it the behemoth where it's basically just giant legs and a bunch of tentacles and you see all the other creatures kind of flying around it and hanging off of it as this giant thing is just watching, walking. And you kind of just kind of dawns on you that really, you know, the, the creatures in the mist aren't evil. They're not monsters. They're just right animals from another place they're just doing their normal thing it's not their fault they're that they're here they're really not evil and you know yeah. it goes on its way and doesn't do anything to them and I, those yeah. two scenes just kind of tie it into for me you know one that's pure horror and chaos and the other one that's just kind of peaceful and, and yeah melodic <laughs> yeah um that that scene in the pharmacy too um the the spiders that shoot the web out that's like uh like an acid web mm -hmm. man that is wild like what a what a great uh uh i, I guess yeah like because you know you, you watch them somebody gets hit or you watch them kind of like dodge the web because you know they know they're going to get burned and then it finally gets the one person and like cuts into their leg oh it is just a wicked uh wicked thing to to be like trying to stay safe from uh but yeah like you said too once they get to the the, the behemoth um you know you really can tell that it's 
they're not they're not there to be the villain like they are just misplaced and trying to survive uh in this you know new surrounding that they were kind of forced into um yeah it's the mist is a very very deep movie (laughs) like just a lot to it um and i i really enjoyed it i'm really really glad that uh this was the one that you picked because this was this was a lot of fun to finally get a chance to watch um and i really enjoyed it um are there any other things about this movie ken that you want to make sure we we talk about before we start to wrap things up here yeah there's a couple of uh, little stephen king easter eggs throughout it um at the very beginning if you, uh frank uh not frank darabont that's the director uh thomas jane's uh character uh is uh, doing a painting because he's a book illustrator the picture that he's actually painting is the gunslinger from the dark tower series yeah so that was kind of a neat little reference there um i believe there's also a couple references to uh um the arrowhead project that actually makes an appearance i believe in one of his other works although i can't think of it off the top of my head so that's kind of cool that you know things like that are worked in there as well because you know stephen king likes to tie all of his stuff together um there's even a theory out there i don't know if it's been confirmed that the mist itself is actually what he calls a thinny uh he makes reference to the dark tower series where it's basically a weak point between worlds and that's where it's kind of just spreading and that's kind of what it is it's a thinny and that makes an appearance in several stephen king stories nice nice does this does this story this is probably going to be a very dumb question but i can't remember them specifically saying anything uh does this take place in maine uh yeah it's supposed to be taking place okay in maine. i don't think they said a town like it's i don't think it's specifically castle rock or it might sure. be near there i think they actually make a reference to bangor so uh okay it's probably going to be you know somewhere in there yeah uh, so definitely in maine um i'm trying to think uh the really cool thing about this is the movie and then like i was saying they did the 3d audio play uh so if you get a chance if you ever have a chance to listen to that i think you might even be able to find it online that one's fun to listen to it was made in the 80s and it's just nice. like an old time almost like an old time um world of world of the worlds kind of thing they do it with like sound and act it out and everything and it was kind of fun so if you oh. can find that and listen to it i would definitely recommend it as well yeah that's that's really cool i'm gonna try and hunt that down because that just yeah that sounds awesome um i know that there's an an audio book on itunes that you can uh can download but i don't know if it's the same thing i think it's just read by an author and that's that's it but yeah i want to i want to find that 3d audio because that sounds really cool uh ken this has been a lot of fun getting to chat with you about you uh getting to chat about this movie uh we're not quite done yet though ken because i'd like to close off every episode uh with a thing that i call the fat five uh these are five rapid fire ish questions that are just kind of a general gauge of of uh you know movies that you like movies that you're interested uh interested in so ken are you ready for the fat five let's do this all right so ken the first question is probably the hardest and that question is what is your favorite movie of all time? Uh, well, it's kind of a tie because it's uh, Lord of the Rings, all three of the originals, not the Hobbit pieces of junk, but the <laughs> Fellowship, The Two Towers, and uh, Return of the King, the extended editions. Uh, nice. Those would be my favorite. I could watch I, and actually have watched those literally over and over and over again. 
are you an annual uh lord of the rings watcher where you'll you'll sit down at least once a year to to watch all of them uh all the way through if not more than that even yeah I mean, there's literally been times where um i'll literally just it'll be on the in on the background but like i'll spend my entire day with that just going in the background watching it and doing my own thing and whatever else i'm working on at that point in time but yeah no, all the time i mean i'll even i'll admit i'll go back and i'll watch the hobbit trilogy as well but it's not up there with the other ones <laughs> i have not seen past the first one um i saw the first one in theaters and i actually started to doze off um i i i haven't been able to bring myself to watch the other two and i think i've heard that the second one is better uh than the first film but i i don't know so i'll i'll get to them eventually i just (laughs) i I can't make myself rush into those um question number two uh it's kind of a it's a two-part question uh the first part is who is your favorite actor your favorite male performer Ooh, uh, I probably have to say David Tennant uh, because I'm a big awesome. Doctor Who fan as well, and I loved him in Doctor Who. But I also really enjoyed him in like Jessica Jones, you know, where he played Kill Kilgrave. So yeah. you know, just uh, just you know, the fact that he's kind of dynamic like that, I just really enjoy uh, his acting, and I'm really kind of excited. I guess he's supposed to be coming back into Doctor Who, uh, possibly in, in October when they're doing their next special. Ooh. Awesome. Uh, have you seen the uh, remake of Fright Night with uh, Colin Farrell and oh, uh, plays, Anton Yelchin? Yep, yep, and he yeah. plays the magician performer guy. Yeah, yeah. Ah, just, just delightful in that, that movie. Fun. So much fun. Uh, uh, the second part of that question: Who is your favorite actress? Your favorite female performer? I don't want to get grief for this, but I actually kind of really like Kristen Stewart right, right at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely nothing wrong with that, Ken. She is awesome. She is I, fantastic. People give her a lot of crap for the Twilight yeah. movies. They're like, oh, she looks like she's acting like somebody farted in the room, and that's how she actually <laughs> seen. Like, that's not her, though. That's the director and the writing. I mean, those yeah. books are kind of turds, but she did what she could with them. Same thing yeah. with Robert Pattinson. People give him a lot of grief for that, and I really think he's actually a really good actor in a lot of the stuff he's done. But yeah. I recently rewatched the um, movie Underwater, I believe it is, if yeah. you're familiar with that one that she's in. Yeah. Uh, so very kind of H.P. Lovecraft on that one. So I love that one. And that, you know, just kind of brought her to mind. So right now she's kind of in the top of my list at the moment. <laughs> yeah, she's great. She has done, uh, I do another podcast called The Criterion Break, and she is in a uh, uh, couple films from director. His name is Oliver Assayas. Um, and she is in this movie called Personal Shopper. Um, and she is just fantastic. And she was great in, in Spencer, the uh, Princess Diana movie last year. Mm-hmm. One of my, I, I, I don't believe in guilty pleasures, Ken. I think we should just enjoy things that we enjoy. Uh, but a lot of people uh, really hated on the new Charlie's Angels uh, mm-hmm. It was so good, Ken. It was Elizabeth so good. Banks, it was so Patrick much Stewart, fun. I mean, <laughs> how can you go I, wrong with that? I mean, it, not every movie has to be Shakespeare or Endgame. You know, you're right. allowed to just have fun. Yeah, I thought Charlie's Angels was a total blast. Like, and I thought 
I liked it so much because it looked like she was having a great time during that movie. So I, I just, I think she's, I think she's fantastic. So yeah, great pick, Ken. I, <laughs> I support this choice of yours 110%. Well done. <laughs> Um, next question. Uh, typically, the question would probably be, who is your favorite director? I like to ask it a little bit differently. Um, is there a director where if they released a new movie tomorrow, you wouldn't have to know the cast, you wouldn't have to know anything about the movie, but just seeing their name attached would get you into the theater? Um, Guillermo del Toro? Yeah. Definitely anything he does, I, I always enjoy. And the other one that I like to watch, but this one, you know, I know you don't use the term guilty pleasure, but I consider this one kind of guilty pleasure. Sure. M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, because He's kind of hit or miss. Some of his stuff is total crap. Some of it's actually really good. I think a lot of his stuff gets more grief than it really deserves and mm -hmm. is better than a lot of people give him credit for. Airbender not included. Um, <laughs> but, you know... He's, he's going to have one eventually where he knocks it out of the park again, like he did with uh, Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. I think those two were probably his best. He's yeah. going to have another one where he's going to knock it out of the park, and I want to be there to see that. <laughs> yep, yep, I agree. I think uh, I think he's extremely creative, and I think he's got just, he's just full of ideas, uh, and I know that one of those ideas is just going to hit huge. Uh, so it's just, I want to be able to see what that idea is, because he's great. Uh, excellent pick. Question number four, is there a movie that is scheduled to come out that you are really excited to see, or a movie that's already out that you haven't had a chance to see yet that you are really excited to see whenever that chance may come? Um. Definitely the new Wakanda Forever movie. I'm a big fan of Marvel, so I'm looking forward for that for sure. Yeah. I'm super excited. The other one I'm looking forward to is actually going to be a Netflix movie um, based off of a Stephen King story, Mr. Harrington's Phone, I believe it's called. I haven't read it, but it's, I believe, in the uh, If It Bleeds book uh, of oh. short stories. Uh, so that was actually coming out next week, or not next week, uh, next month, I think it is. So I'm uh, okay. kind of looking forward to seeing that on Netflix. Nice. I will have to, I'll have to check that out. Watch a trailer or something for it. Uh, do you know who's in that one at all? Uh, it's, I'm trying to think it's, it's a kid actor and I don't know if it's the one I'm, I get them confused in my head. I'm like, is it the one sure. from Stranger Things or is it one from the pen, this it movie? Uh, okay. So I think it's one of the kid actors from the it movie, but I may be wrong on that. <laughs> okay. I will, I will hunt down the trailer and try and watch this. Cause yeah, I, I, uh, there are, there are a bunch of Stephen King things on Netflix that I have missed that I need to go back and watch. Um, so they'll just, just add that one to the list. Well, uh, in the tall grass, if you haven't seen that one, throw that on the list too. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's, that one is at the top of the Stephen King adaptations that I really want to make sure I watch. Um, last question, Ken, the name of this show is let's talk about, uh, I usually do my movie reviews using the taco scale. Uh, so Ken, if you were to craft for me, your perfect taco, how are you making that taco? So make, make your perfect taco for me, Ken. Oh, okay. So we start with a flour tortilla. Okay. Uh, we're going to put down some fresh uh, pico, mm, okay. uh, some citrus lime grilled shrimp. Ooh. And maybe a little bit of mango salsa on top. Okay. Okay. Ooh. Maybe a dollop of good. fresh if you're feeling uh, feisty. That sounds delicious. <laughs> wow. 
I I made the mistake, and I do this very frequently, of not eating dinner uh, before I recorded. So now that we are uh, a little <laughs> over an hour into it, and we talk about food, I am ready to eat. So Ken. I will leave you to it. Ken, if, if you would like to have people uh, uh, find you online, is there a place where people can check you out on like Instagram, Facebook? Where would you like people to find you online? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Ken's King Collection. I'm also on YouTube under uh, Ken's King Collection. I'm, I'm pretty basic. I'm easy to find. Um, Twitter, if you want to find me, Ken's Kingdom 77. But yeah, uh, I'm on all of those. And on my Instagram, I basically go through and take all the pictures of my books, the new ones I get, the ones I purchase online. I'm actually randomly i'm uh hoping to be in the guinness book of world records possibly where we've got an application out and have heard anything back but fingers crossed <laughs> is it for your collection yep for yeah oh. apparently there's not currently one for stephen king collection so i'm sure there are people who have better collections or more expensive collections but you know even if i get it for just a little while just to be able to say i held that for that small period of time i would love that yeah yeah let's do it ken go for it that is awesome <laughs> Well, Ken, yeah, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this episode of the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great talking about, you know, everything Stephen King and horror. And, you know, I love movies, so definitely a fun time. Once again, a huge, huge thank you to Ken for uh, sitting down and having this chat with me. I always like I always like getting to talk with people that I know don't know like i know ken i know i know his husband better and you'll get to hear from john here in a little bit i i am having john on the show finally um which this is that's that's really going to be a fun episode for me i'm really excited to talk to john uh but i i know ken kind of through john um and I, I'm always like, I enjoy reading the things that Ken posts. Um, so it was nice to have like a chat with him and just finally get to get to know him. Uh, those are some of my favorite conversations to have with people that it's like, I know, but I don't know. That sounds very Californian. I know them, but I don't know them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, uh, I really like those, those conversations. Uh, so big, huge thanks to Ken for, uh, finally getting to have a nice chat with him. It was, it was a really great time. Uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Um, you can find all things fat dude digs flicks online. Just do a search on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, letterboxd, uh, even TikTok for fat dude digs flicks and you will find me there like this podcast subscribe to this podcast share this podcast with your friends rate and review this podcast if you are using something like itunes or spotify uh, i would love to have more listeners the best way to do that is with your help so please get us out there to other people just do a search for fat dude digs flicks and you will find the podcast there 
if you subscribe to this podcast, not only do you get Let's Talk About, but you will also get the Criterion Break, uh, where I am joined by Derek Verink and Blake Ginnethan, where we discuss our love for the Criterion Collection proper and the Criterion Channel. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or would like to be a guest on the show, uh, please send an email to fatdudedigsflicks at gmail.com. Uh, I would love to have people on the show. So anytime I get a chance to, to uh, uh, note that there's someone else out there who wants to chat with me, uh, please let, let me know. I would love to talk. If you're listening to this and you have not been on the show before and you are big time like horror fanatic, uh, please get a hold of me. I, I have the month of October coming up uh, and I would really like to talk to uh, either people that are involved in the horror world or are big fans of horror films, uh, especially things that are kind of like off the normal beaten path. Uh, I would love to, to chat with you about a movie you love uh, in the month of October. So please, if that if that's you, uh, send an email to fatdudedigsflicks at gmail.com. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. So uh, yeah, I'll be back here. Here. Right here. Next week. Same fat time. Same fat channel and let's talk about movies thank you so much for listening have a wonderful wonderful week bye thank you for listening to fat dude digs flicks 